Dear listener and fellow story lover, I was enchanted by the whimsy of this short story and it brought to mind various people in my life who named their companion items. These people always put a smile on my face, as does this story. I hope you enjoy this week's Stories from Before. Anne's Adventures and the Anxieties of Her Owner Written by Muriel Clark Read by Selena Goodell By permission of the Lutterworth Press Music by Stacey Weir It always seems to me a pity to confine names to people or even to animals. I like them for inanimate things too. It is obviously convenient, for instance, to be able to describe the chair I want out in the garden by simply telling my brother to bring Judith. Judith, like Robert, is a comfortable basket chair, but without my admirable system, in order to distinguish her, I should need to go into details as to the length of her legs and the curve of her comfy back. But that is not at all necessary. Judith is quite enough. My brother understands. He knows her at once. She is squat and stumpy and lovely when you feel thoroughly lazy, whereas Robert, though first cousin to Judith, is only suitable for the curate and at-home days. It is the same with my clothes. I have an evening scarf called Geraldine, another called Jane. You will understand, I am sure, the difference in their colour and texture. Geraldine is silk and a sweet shade of blue. Jane is drab, woolly and sensible. You will not be surprised now, I think, to know that my umbrellas have names. The new and the old served as long as I possessed only two. But on the arrival of a third umbrella, a birthday present, complications arose. Eventually, we called him Kitchener. You could trust him completely. There was no fear of him collapsing suddenly or failing you in any way. He was an eminently effective shield against the elements. Not so Adam. Often have I had rain pouring on and off me whilst I struggled to get him up. It wasn't altogether his fault. He had lost a rib and should have been considered hors de combe. But he was handy sometimes. If I had lent Anne to a friend, for instance, or left her behind in the post office or a shop or somewhere else. And before Kitchener came. Anne was my really useful umbrella. My working one, so to speak. Kitchener was altogether superior and only suitable at this point in his history for calls and church and concerts. Please understand that he had it in him to be a working umbrella, but I hadn't given him the opportunity yet. When I carried Anne, I wore my galoshes and a Macintosh and it rained, or it was going to. But when I carried Kitchener, I wore my velvet hat and my light grey suit, and often he didn't go up at all. He stood erect and exclusive in the hall stand, or in the corner of the pew at St George's, or in the cloakroom. One day, Anne had an accident. I think she must have been failing for some time past, though. I'd seen no symptoms of feebleness, but quite suddenly, one April morning, when I wanted to use her for protection from a shower, 
she came apart. She did it so neatly, too. It wasn't a case of losing a rib with her. It wasn't a hole in her stout cover or a loss of the button that straps her together. Nothing like that. It was much more serious. Her neck was broken. That is to say, her handle had come off and remained pathetically unattached in my left hand, leaving the rest of Anne looking like a child with only its vest on. I was truly distressed. It cut me to the heart that my old friend Anne should die in this ignominious fashion. Far rather would I have lost her entirely by a gale blowing her out to sea, or in some other dramatic and splendid way. But to see her fall to pieces like a worn-out warrior before my eyes. It was awful. I considered. Could Anne not be restored? Would not a doctor's skill be able to do something for her? I thought that it would. I was sure of it. Home I flew for Kitchener. Adam is really a very last resource. And set out again, this time carrying Anne, head and trunk with me. I found a doctor for her, and he promised to return her to me, completely cured, entirely whole, in three days' time. But she must have a new handle. The old one wouldn't do again. Reluctantly, I agreed to the surgical operation necessary. It would really be the same Anne after all. So I thought. At the end of a week, Anne had not come home. I called for her, for I was going away and wanted to take her with me. I was assured I should have her as soon as she came in. Apparently, she'd been sent from the outpatient's department, that is to say the shop, into the hospital, that is to say the works. She had not arrived when I left home for my visit, but the doctor had promised she should be posted on to me, and as I had paid for her new head, I hoped she would. Anne came at last. I knew her by the shape of the parcel and cut her string in pleasurable anticipation of meeting my old friend again. I unwrapped her from her brown paper and then from her tissue. I was actually handling Anne once more. But I cried out in astonishment. Was this Anne? This? I held her up for my sister. Look! I exclaimed horrified. Anne! Surely it can't possibly be meant for Anne! But it was. The neat, flat, button-like knob at the summit of her long and elegant neck had gone. You couldn't tell now where her neck ended and her head began. It curved round into a crook and gave Anne the appearance of a humpback. Also, crowning indignity... Anne's head was a man's head. There was no doubt about it. My brother-in-law said so at once. It wasn't necessary to say it, as a matter of fact. It was perfectly plain. Above, she was a thick, big, bang-on-your-arm handle with a fat silver band at the waist. And below, slim and delicate Anne. You can't carry it, said my sister decisively. It's a man's umbrella. I shall carry it, I protested. 
I'm not going to throw Anne overboard just because an operation has altered her appearance. Not I. The poor dear. And I stroked her gently on the part of her that was as it ever had been. You can't call her Anne any more, said my brother-in-law, who is an imaginative man. No, I can't, I answered slowly. Then an idea came to me. She'll be Anthony now, I said, and I can still call her Anne for short. Why not Tony? suggested my sister. She's a he now. I shook my head. Anthony should be her full name for public use in future, but between ourselves she should still be Anne. How could I call my old chum Tony? It was impossible. The other day I was travelling on the Great Northern with Anthony. I was reading about the latest British victory and was more than a little interested and roused by what I read. I glanced away from my paper for a moment in order better to visualise the fields of Flanders when my eyes rested, unseeing at first because of my absorption, on Anthony. Suddenly the truth dawned on me in horror and anguish. Anthony was firmly clutched in the well-gloved hand of an old gentleman sitting next to me. I watched the old gentleman. He looked a thoroughly honest, quite kind and delightful person. I was speechless. Then the train drew up at Finsbury Park Station and he rose to get out, still clutching Anthony. At last I touched his coat sleeve timidly. Pardon me, I began. That is, you have... It's my umbrella you were taking. The old gentleman turned upon me. All the kindness had faded from his face. He glared fiercely. You make a mistake, madam, he said in icy tones. This is my umbrella. But really, I pleaded. I turned appealingly to the other passengers. Didn't any of you see me come in with it? I asked and searched around for a witness. I searched in vain. Just look at it, said the old gentleman angrily, and he held Anthony up. Isn't this a gentleman's umbrella? I ask you. Does this look as if it belonged to a lady? Of course, poor Anthony didn't. Over in the corner sat a stern-faced matron. She had an umbrella. It was a neat, light kind, typically feminine. Her eyes were on me, and there was condemnation in them. She evidently thought I was a shoplifter at large in a railway carriage, and that I ought to be arrested. Everyone else was looking at me, and each face gave unmistakably the same verdict. As I realised to the full significance of the glances that were cast at me, an awful thing happened. I blushed, and the carriage was, of course, more completely assured, it was absolutely convinced, of my guilt. The position was intolerable. We had been waiting at Finsbury Park for three minutes. The old gentleman wanted to change here for the tube. He had no more time to waste on umbrellas. No more words, either. He was beyond words in any case. Out of the carriage he shot, still firmly gripping Anthony and hurling a scorching parting glare at me. 
off up the platform he went, gesticulating wildly. I wondered vaguely if he were going to give me in charge. I scarcely cared. In any case, I could no longer remain in the compartment eyed suspectingly as if I were a criminal by all the passengers. It was unbearable. I rose, and as I did so, I revealed, lying along the seat, an umbrella. It was singularly like Anthony, only stouter and with a more virile and generally masculine air. It was the old gentleman's. The passenger saw it too, and a smile dawned and spread from face to face. Even the stern looking matron relaxed. You'd better take his now, she suggested. It's only fair. I picked up the old gentleman's umbrella. I was still feeling the loss of Anne acutely, but at least I was proven to be innocent. There was some comfort in that. It was too late to catch the old gentleman. He had disappeared down the steps long since, and our train had started again. When I went back to my sister after my shopping was done, I told her my story. She understood my sadness at losing Anne and was very sympathetic. But my brother in law wasn't. Not a bit. He laughed. Laughed when he heard that Anne had been snatched from me, carried away before my very eyes, and was lost forever. At least, so I thought. And the little old gentleman's umbrella lived in the hall stand while I used Kitchener whenever it rained. One day, my brother in law snatched up the changeling, as he facetiously called Anne's usurper. I'll take this. He cried, I can't find my own. And he went out. But he came back without the umbrella. I've lost it, he explained, smiling. He was much more amused than concerned. And you can't say anything, he added, because it wasn't yours. But he hadn't lost it. When he put up the umbrella, he had seen, fastened to the spokes in the centre, a small piece of tape. On it, in small neat writing, were the words Anne Struther, Five Blankshire Place, East Finchley. My brother in law went to East Finchley and found Blankshire Place, also the wife of the owner of the umbrella, my little old gentleman's little old lady, but he said nothing to me. Next day, I received a parcel, long and thin. Save for one end that bulged, and a note. Of course, the parcel was Anne. The note was an expression of profound apology and deep regret at the unfortunate mistake. Evidently, greatly troubled was the poor little old gentleman, and how much relieved at the opportunity he now had of restoring the umbrella he had quite unconsciously stolen. Later in the morning, A huge mass of daffodils arrived and a beautiful bunch of sweet smelling violets. Attached was a visiting card. You may not believe it, but it is true. The little old gentleman's name was Anthony. Anthony Anstruther. The End. I hope you enjoyed this whimsical story of Anne and Anthony's adventures. 
please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends and family. I hope you enjoyed a fun start to the new year and have a lovely week. I look forward to being with you next week when I again share stories from before.